755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome, welcome. 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic with my regular co-host here, Eric O'Flaherty. What's happening, Eric? What up, Dave? Nothing, man. I'm good. Well, we are uh, we got a privilege today of having a real broadcaster amongst us. I'd like to welcome to the show none other than Mr. Chip Carey. What's happening, Chip? How you doing? Hi, hi, Dave. I'm doing great. I guess I'm doing better than Eric. I'm not getting chased by a, a <laughs> rabbit bears in the woods in Seattle. So everything's going well, all things considered. Hope you guys are doing great. You don't have that was bear- an adrenaline rush. <laughs> <laughs> I needed that. Hook <laughs> <laughs> <Hit> me up. <laughs> hey, you oh, don't have man. bears down. Well, you do have bears in Florida, but not where you are in St. Augustine. Yeah, no, we've got uh, drunken tourists. We've got manatees. We've got dolphins. And uh, for me, I've got uh, two adult children and an 11-year-old. That's got me uh, running through the hills every now and then, too. So <laughs> and, and all's good. At least you're not like at the headwaters of the glades. And like where we are now in spring training down there. Yeah. I'm out running at night in the dark on this, uh, on this bike path and next to a river, you know, that runs t- down to the, to the bay. And uh-huh. I swear, man, it's dark and I can barely see the path. And I'm, I'm terrified of snakes, but also down in Florida, I'm terrified of who knows what the hell is going to come out of the water down there, man. I heard, I heard a gator splashing around one night, and I knew it was a gator because I heard this big splash, and I'm thinking, okay, somebody threw something in the water, and then because there's nobody around me. And then I heard it splashing for about 30 seconds, and that was like, yeah. you know – but I'm I'm like the stuff that comes out of the out of the uh, Everglades these days, man. I'm waiting for like we've talked about this before on the show. I'm waiting for one of the one of those fish that comes out of the water with like legs. It's like a half snake, <laughs> half anaconda that somebody yeah. threw away as a pet. You know, twenty years. That's weird down yeah. there, man. Well, hey, that's why Florida man is what he is. You got to be tough to survive down here. There's a million ways to die in this place. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, what have you been doing with all your your time, your free time down there? Uh, You're in St. Augustine, right? We are. We're in St. Augustine. Uh, Well, look, like everybody else, we've tried to keep the social distancing and the uh, social consciousness stuff going on, uh, staying at home as much as possible. Uh, a lot of the worst has passed down here. Our state has finally opened up to a certain degree, and we think over the next days and weeks that it's going to open up even further, which is a godsend for uh, people uh, in small business who are suffering so badly from this. And look, we all understand the seriousness of the pandemic, and we're incredibly sensitive to uh, all the people who are suffering through this and are concerned about it. Um, but you know, by and large, uh, we've come through it in our area of the state uh, relatively unscathed. Uh, thank God for that. Uh, I've been spending a lot of bonus time with my family. As you guys know, with baseball season, we'd be, what, six, seven weeks into it by yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so this is a time with my wife and kids that ordinarily I would never have, especially this time of year where I live, mm-hmm. which is St. Augustine, Florida. So uh, my wife put it in perspective when the whole thing started, and rightfully so. Uh, as hard as this is for those of us who uh, need baseball to survive, and as hard as this is on us uh, emotionally with our circadian rhythms uh, cycling with the game, uh, the bonus is, as I said, uh, we're getting to do things together as a family that maybe we never got to do before. And mm-hmm. I've said this before, and Eric I, I can relate to this. Uh, when you have kids and you're married uh, for however many years it is, if you're in baseball, you cut that number in half because six months of the time you're gone, you're away from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, having a 22-year-old daughter, two 20-year-old sons, and an 11-year-old son, I've been around for half of their lives because of the yeah. way my career uh, has worked. And there's a great deal of guilt associated with that. So 
uh, I'm, I'm trying to use this time as a bit of healing, uh, time to really reflect and appreciate how fortunate I am to do what I do with the people I do it and to be able to live the way I do and where I do and have so many great friends. But that being said, I think all of us who love baseball and love sports and know how important it is, can't wait to get back whenever that is. Wow. That, uh, that answer, you would seem like you've done some broadcasting in your life. <laughs> well, well, Dave, you know, we're not going to have to go into my Ted, Ted Baxter not, voice. Next answer, if you want. We're not going to have to pull any answers out of him, Eric. <laughs> hey. Good, good answer, Eric. Uh, yeah. Chip. <laughs> That's why he's the best analyst in the business. Dave. <laughs> Chip, have you been like that hilarious Scottish uh, soccer broadcaster who we've seen on YouTube a couple of, several times now? calling like the most mundane parts of his daily life with his two Labradors, turning it yeah. into sporting events. That is some well, funny shit, man. He was great. He was really, really good. And again, <laughs> we're all trying to find, we're all trying to find the humor so we don't go absolutely crazy. Uh, I've done that a little bit around the house with my, with my little son who, who loves to play wiffle ball. I have two uh, broadcast alter ego voices. You know how a broadcaster will talk like this, you know? Yeah. I, I've, I've got two. Exactly. One of them is Biff Barf and the other one is Duke Puke. And their uh, broadcast partners ca- calling a wiffle ball game in the backyard. I just hyper criticized my little eleven year old until he gets the point where he wants to throw the bat down and come slug me. Uh, but you know, I, I broadcast my wife bringing in the groceries of a cat killing a bird or a lizard or something like that. Uh, but as I said, it, stay sharp. I think, yeah, well, we're all just sort of we're all going stir crazy, and it's kind of a, you try to laugh through tears. And I think we're all we're all sort of guilty of that in our own set of, uh, sort of sick and strange way. So you're losing it like the rest of us is what you're saying. Yeah, we're no, we're no, we're no different. We're no different than everybody else. Be honest. Are you driving Susan and the kids absolutely crazy? Are they ready to, uh, to kick you out? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> you, you guys saw the meme early in this, uh, early in the, uh, the, the pandemic. Uh, the gentleman was on Facebook and he said, okay, I'm going to give you two options. Option A is to stay quarantined with your wife and kids for six weeks. Option B, yeah. is, and before the guy even said yeah. B, said B, give me B. They were on B about three hours into it. Um, but, but you know, I, I feel for them too, because like I said, and Eric, again, you can, you can address this as well. The, the di- most difficult part of our job isn't necessarily to travel or, and I'm not speaking about being behind the white lines or performing behind a microphone, but it's the exit and reentry as a family yeah. member. You know, you learn pretty quickly, Dave, how, uh, how much you aren't needed at home. And I say that <laughs> with great respect because Eric married a very strong, independent, lovely woman, and I did the same. And uh, it probably wouldn't work in our family if she wasn't. And uh, when we leave, all of that uh, burden falls upon her. She's got to be mother, father, uh, husband, wife, disciplinarian, uh, school mom, cook, cleaner, all that stuff, and do it really without any help. And so uh, we get a lot of the credit. We get a lot of the attention. But I've always said and will continue to say that the real MVPs in a baseball uh, family life are the moms and the wives because without them, uh, A, it wouldn't be worth doing, and B, it wouldn't happen because it probably wouldn't stick together. So uh, whatever my wife uh, has to say, whatever her feelings are about me being home, I try to say yes, dear, and get it done as quickly and efficiently as possible yeah. to, to avoid getting, getting hollered at. I didn't, I didn't learn that fast enough before my, before my, my wife left me. So, <laughs> well, everybody gets a mulligan day. Eh? That's the way. It yeah. Works. I'm waiting for my mulligan. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, some would say, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, this has been one of the, well, 
not one of the only times, but this has been a time where actually being being single has been pretty cool during this pandemic, man. I gotta say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, you know, you're in a different it, it, situation than me for a lot of reasons. We are, we are, and I, and I am, I am joking, of course. Uh, my kids and my family mean the world to me. I don't always show it the way that I should. Uh, you know, we all get short tempered, and as I said, it's an adjustment for them being around me this much, yeah. and conversely, it's an adjustment for me to be around them this much. It's it's different dealing with twenty year old men. Yeah, uh, as opposed to being you know, the father of ten-year-old man, and really, that's and that's and that's really true. I, I'm understanding what their boundaries are and where they uh, and how they look at life, and it's been greatly educational. I think in the long run, it's going to really help our relationship, and I think them seeing me and the things that I'm trying to do to stay busy uh, while I can't work. Uh, I hope they are recognizing that there's still a work ethic and there's still a pride and and dignity and all that kind of stuff that goes along uh, with with being a member of the family. So uh, it's been a learning experience for sure. And the one thing I have learned is that I really appreciate and love my job and that I don't want to or intend to retire anytime soon. I'm not ready for that. Amen. <laughs> uh, man, I got to tell you, I've thought about this without, with, I have friends that have like college age kids. And if I was 20 years old and I all of a sudden was jerked out of school and, and living at home with my parents for two months with no end yeah. in sight. I don't yeah. know how I would have handled that, man. <laughs> These kids, they're, they're having to deal with stuff that we never had to deal with. And social isolation. I mean, that's yeah. the other part of it. They, they, I mean, luckily for them, uh, there's a world that exists uh, on the internet yeah. with their phones yeah. and their devices yeah. we that didn't we have, obviously we didn't, didn't have, have. that, yeah. Yeah, you know, the old Bruce Springsteen song, uh, 67 channels and nothing yeah. on. Well, they've got options that we didn't have. But that said, uh, it's difficult for them. Uh, yeah. They're as scared and, uh, if not scared, as uncertain about what their world's going to look like in sure. two years when they graduate as we are. And sure. and I'm incredibly sympathetic to that, and I try to understand that and be as supportive as I can for them. Eric, can you even imagine being like a high school senior right now and not knowing, uh, you know, if there's going to be college next year, if you're going to be in school, or in your case, if it, the draft is going to be five deep, five rounds, probably you have no idea if you're going to play minor league baseball. I'll this summer, in, I was a six rounder. <laughs> it's just so much weirdness, man. Everything's <laughs> yeah, upside yeah. down. Yeah. There you go. You're a perfect example. You were a sixth rounder. You wouldn't even have been drafted. No. I mean, it, you think about that a lot too, because there's going to be, there's, you know, mainly, mainly the most talent comes from those top few rounds, but me and Matt Kemp were drafted, I think, back-to-back. So there's two guys right there, just my draft example, so that were they got 10 years in the big league. So mm-hmm. it's going to affect a lot of guys. I think it's definitely going to push back a lot of guys. And, you know, guys are going to have to go to junior college and, and go different routes to try to get their foot in the door. But ultimately, if you got the talent and baseball starts back up, they're going to get a shot. But it'll definitely affect a lot of guys this year. And sign for, like, nothing as a nothing. free agent and then have to, you know, and then the team's got nothing invested in you, so you're really going to have to be good to make it, to make a, have to earn a spot. For sure. And, and you know, there might be less minor league teams to begin with, you know, whenever it kicks back off or oh, yeah, they're reducing a few teams. So No short season? Yeah, it's definitely going to – it's going to hurt a lot of odds for a lot of guys. What was Mike's Piazza? What, I know he's the extreme example. I think he was the what last round was he? Like 50 first or something. Pick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the last guy I chose. The favorite. He was 62nd round. Yeah. And he was, was a favor. Juco. Yeah. If Lasorda did his father a favor, he yeah. did his Paisan a favor. <laughs> Worked um, out, though, didn't it? It did work out. All right. Um, yeah. We had an athletic kind of story last week about like weird eras, players that are players that were with teams that you don't associate them with. 
And I right. know most people are old enough to remember, I was covering Marlins when Piazza was there for five days. <laughs> it was a Marlin. <laughs> that was insane, man. And his dad lived in Boca, so he had a house. So him and Todd Zeal were living in his dad's house and down there driving back and forth. Wow. Yeah. He hit one over uh, at New Bush. They had that Big Mac land up in left field, second deck for Mark McGuire. And BP yeah. Piazza, one of the, yeah. the only road trip he took, the only road series, he hit one over Big Mac land in BP. It was impressive. Wow. Wow. What a player. Uh, Good for him. I talked to Boog Shambi a few weeks ago. We were talking about Chipper joining his, him in the broadcast booth. <laughs> I want to get your thoughts on that. But mm-hmm. I talked to Boog. Yeah. He said he was so bored that he was going through his old scorebooks and like seeing what he could glean about players and teams tendencies. If there was anything he could kind of take for with from that, take forward into broadcast this year. I'm like, wow, that is, <laughs> yeah, that's looking for stuff that's, to do. Cause here he, he is, he's new. He's in New York, you know, no kids. Yeah. He's living in New York. Yeah. He was isolated at the time and probably still is. So, you know, it could be a lot worse yeah. than what the, well, well, we have ex- it where we are. Yeah. That's ex- that's exactly right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so sympathetic to the people in New York who, you know, and this is not at all a knock yeah. on New York, but they live in a, in a highly congested area. Yeah. So yeah. you've got a one bedroom, 1500, 1100 square foot apartment. And you can't leave. Yep. I, you talk about being, can't take- uh, you know, a cat in a cage. That's, that's, uh, yeah. you know, that'd be about as tough as it could be. And, uh, obviously all of us have our, our hopes and prayers for everybody and not just New York, but all the big cities that, uh, they'll get through this as, uh, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. Imagine that you can't, you live up there. You always take public transportation. Well, you can't take yeah. the subways right now. Who wants to get into yeah. an Uber right now? Not, not me. Yeah. You know, yeah. That. I mean, I think that's going to be the, I think that's going to be the most fascinating thing from a societal yes. standpoint. I've thought a lot about this I is, agree. are we going to see a, a great deal of de-urbanization? Um, you know, yes. it, it almost it's certainly has happen. to happen. And so people who live in, in smaller towns, I think are going to see a great big boom of people who are finding out they can telecommute and they can work yeah. from home. And, Ultimately, uh, the great thing about our society is, in my opinion, people adapt and industries adapt and we are a great adaptable society and there is going to be a normal and who knows what that new normal is going to be. But I'm firmly convinced that we're going to get back to normal and we're going to rebound from this like we have every other challenge. There will be a time to analyze what went right, and what went wrong. And hopefully when the next one comes along and there is going to be one that yep. we have a, uh, a better blueprint from which to follow so that we can learn from our mistakes. And I, I don't envy any of the people, not just politically speaking, but the people in, in, in industry, the real-time decisions that, that they have to make with the limited amount of information they have, because this has never happened yeah. to this extent before in our country. And so I applaud all of them for whatever decisions they make, and only time will tell which ones were the right ones. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Though. I think we're going to have a reverse of what the trends have been in the last two decades of people, especially the last 10 years of people moving back into the cities, you know, all the young people that rely, like, especially tech industries and all that, that rely entirely on public transportation, you know, they don't, they don't don't even want to own cars. Well, that's going to, a lot of stuff's going to change, man. It's going to take a while, I think, before most people are comfortable again, using public transportation, much less getting on airplanes. I mean, you know, I would say by, Airline stock, but I think you need to wait a little longer because I don't think it's done tanking. It's going to take years to get back for the airline industry to recover. Well, obviously, I, you know, I hope you're wrong. And I think we all would agree with that, right? I mean, we want to get yeah. back to seeing business travelers and, uh, and leisure oh, travelers uh, and, and, and sports travelers. We want to see all that. We, I, look, I want to see it yesterday. Uh, I understand, uh, uh, you know, the, the concerns and fears and all that. I'm no expert on it, but uh, 
you know, like I said, I, I truly believe, uh, you know, the FDR speech, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself and uh, education and knowledge is power. And with each passing day, we get more and more of that, which leads me to believe that a, that a bright future and, and uh, in the not too distant futures uh, ahead for all of us. And bears. We have bears to and fear. And bears. And bears to fear. That's exactly <laughs> well, hey, right. we got to get some cars back on the road. And pythons. Yeah, right. And pythons, pythons in the Florida Everglades. <laughs> and, and Florida man, yes. And Florida man. Always, always Florida man. Man, okay, well, on to the season, assuming there is one. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think we will have one of some kind uh, without yeah. fans probably uh, for yeah. most or all of it. What do you think about the various scenarios you've heard for getting in some semblance of a baseball season with July 4th, give or take a few days, as the generally assumed hope for starting point? I mean, there's been ideas leaked to reporters that MLB has obviously discussed each and every scenario possible, but there's the Mm -hmm. Arizona-Florida plan, the Arizona-Texas-Florida plan, and then the play in all the home ballparks plan without fans, obviously. And that three-division, damn-the-league alignment plan yeah. that uh, Bob Nightingale leaked last week, I wrote about, which Terry McGurk entirely shot down with Mark Bradley, the AJC, this week, when he said that's absolutely not going to happen with the Braves in the Central. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, well, it's obviously, yeah, well, obviously Terry has much more information right. than uh, a lowly broadcaster like me would have. I, I like the three-division plan. Too. I, I you know, for, personally. Yeah, it was uh, cool. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, look, we get the traditionalists and we get, you know, the, the I, I read Terry's comments briefly, you know, we're an Eastern team. I get all of that. I understand the, uh, you know, the need to play in home ballparks and all that stuff. Um, you know, how are you going to play in New York? Right, how are you going to exactly. play in Chicago? I, and so that, that, that raises its own set of, of issues that, that is, uh, that is there. Uh, for me, the idea of a round robin tournament with the three cities and have the teams play there. Let's say you start, like you said, July 1st or July, let's say July 1st, mm-hmm. you play four or five weeks in those, uh, in those quote unquote spring training ballparks. And then if it's safer, which by August one, if it's not, we're not going to be playing anyway. Right. Then move, then move to the big league city. That seems to me the most plausible thing. Plus. You know, let's we let's use baseball, and it's a terrible analogy, but why not use baseball as a petri dish now? Let's find out if we really like the DH. Let's find out yeah. if we really need replay. Let's find out if we need robot umpires. Let's try anything and everything. Let's play seven inning double headers. If ever there was an opportunity yeah. for baseball to be creative, not only in the way the game is played, but in the way the game is marketed, because look, it's going to be a TV sport for the most yeah. part, because as you said, fans won't be there. This is a once in a generational opportunity for the sport to really, really brand itself as something that is hip, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's cutting edge, and it's accessible. And uh, you know, whatever plan they choose, I don't care. I want to work yeah. so I can feed my family and I want to entertain people and help them get through this. Uh, but you know, I, I like the three the three uh, 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 tier plan, and if and barring that, I like the idea of having games in Arizona and Florida until August, if that's what you want to do, you've got the spring training sites and you wouldn't have to do as much quarantining, et cetera, et cetera. But look, those are decisions and thought processes that are far above my pay grade, but uh, whatever form baseball takes, I'm in, let's go, let's play. And I could also see using Texas too. They're not, you know, they got the, especially with the dome now in uh, Dallas, but uh, right. Right. And Hey, look, the weather's an issue. Look, Florida, it's going to be hot and humid. we got a hurricane right. season coming up. Texas yeah, is going to be 100 degrees. Arizona, the same thing. So there, yeah. there is there is no perfect plan. Nope, there's um, not. And, and so I, what, what is exciting to me is that it sounds like, and I'm sure I've read the same stuff you guys have read, 
that at least they're trying to explore and exhaust every possible opportunity until, as Tony LaRusso said, one becomes so unfeasible that we have to toss it aside. That's yeah. really, really good news. And, and as I said, smart, uh, far smarter people than I are, uh, are doing that on a daily and hourly basis, I'm sure. Uh, Eric and I both are kind of traditionalists. I know I am, but total traditionalist. If, I mean, but, you know, I also raved against the wild card until they actually had it. And then I think it was a great, it, it added yeah. a lot, lot to the game, but I'm with you on this year. It's going to have a huge, huge asterisk already. So yeah. let's try everything. This is the year to try everything. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and make it exciting because it's going to be a TV sport only this year. And you're going to be the first sport back probably if you start July or whatever, and you have a chance to get huge ratings. So Mike, the yeah. players like you did Freddie Freeman down there on that spring training game. That was fascinating. Mike, the players, you know, have get one or two that agree to do it every game. Uh, you know, try the damn uh, automatic umpire, the strike zone, try all that crap. Try the, the, the not allowing batters to get out of the zone at the uh, batter's box, box. and, and, and do their and unstrap their batting gloves every pitch and take 20 seconds, you know, try all that stuff. Yeah. I, I again, as I said, this is the time where, um, I don't think fans are going to be patient for any kind of silliness yeah. about, uh, uh, being, uh, traditionalists or new wave, you know, uh, uh all that stuff's out the window, yeah. uh, to, to your bigger point, Dave, uh, from the economic standpoint, there's a huge vested interest in everybody playing. Oh. And, you know, how'd you like to be a, a potential free agent this year if you don't play? Oh. Oh. Where's the money going to come from? I yes. mean, teams are getting clobbered. Uh, until the TV games get on the air, teams don't get that money. And that's, you know, I'm not trying to say and I'm, this is not a, a false equivalency of, well, you know, people are being put at risk for money. That's not at all. It's about operating a business and yes. keeping the business alive. And uh, there are ways, I believe, in my opinion, to do that safely and smartly and incrementally. and uh, uh, Doing it in stages and being ready on a week's or 24 hours notice for a change in plans, I think is going to require maturity and uh, cooperation and partnership among all parties. And I'm optimistic that we're going to see that because there's too much at stake and too much to be lost if uh, we, we one side or the other digs their heels in the sand and says it's this way or the highway. I just don't think the fans are going to tolerate that. And if that happens, then you're really going to wreck the sport. Yeah. We've talked about this. Eric and I've talked about this. There's You get into this uh, – either or kind of scenario or like on Twitter, you get in an argument with somebody who thinks you're downplaying this whole pandemic. And I'm not, I know how horrible this is and how serious this is. But when you say that you want them to, if they have a chance to keep the players and the participants, the umpires, the training staff, whatever, to keep all those people, the, the necessary uh, people safe to have them test and all that. And if you can do that and play the games, then I think you should do it, even if it's 80 games, 100 games. And then people come back at me like, well, why would you put at risk the most valuable asset that the game has? It's talent, it's players. Why would you force them to? I'm not, no, if you ask the players, if you poll them, and Eric can attest to this, the vast majority, sure, we've heard from the two or three or four that say that they won't do it because they got a baby on the way and they won't isolate and all this. But if you've asked the majority of people, there are like $4 billion in salary that are going to be left on the table if they play no games. And then for the owners, there's far more than $4 billion on the table. So both sides want to do this. They want to play. Right. They're not forcing the players to play. Most of them right. want to play. And right, well, if you don't want to play, stay home. 
I, yeah, I, right. No one's going right. to be mad at you. I mean, I think every player will understand right. it. You know, if, if you've got a baby coming or you don't want to be away from your family for that amount of time. But uh, I think I'd say probably 90% of the guys are, would be in and say, let's do it. And the few guys that don't, you know, I, no hard feelings, but we got to go see, you know, we got a season to go play. And, and look, everything I think we've read is this is a disease. This is a virus, which is going to be with us forever. You don't yeah. cure viruses, right? I mean, vaccines will help, but it's not going to stop it. I mean, that, that right. the common cold is a virus. It's, it's not gone away for millennia. Uh, this is a disease that attacks the, the elderly, the old, and the indigent, by and large. And I say that with great respect. And I think we're all smart enough to realize we can protect those people. And let the young people go to work and provide for their families and provide entertainment and and uh, get business back to work. That's my belief. And I, 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 as I said, I don't believe personally it's an either-or proposition, and it's in no way unsympathetic. I have uh, uh, two in-laws that live across the street from me that are in their mid-80s, and we do their grocery shopping for them, and we tell them, stay home. And we, they should. And people who aren't healthy should stay home. But the people that are healthy and are able to work, I believe ought to be allowed to do so. And if that means baseball can come back in that form or fashion, and it makes sense and it's safe. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And again, I'm not downplaying this because, and I, and I would, dis, and I would only disagree with you in that if that by, by and large, those are the people being affected, but I'm kind of alarmed by the number of others that with uh, pre-existing conditions, people that are, uh, you know, it's, it's especially affecting blacks and, 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 you know, no Latins and people with, and, 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 and poor folks. No question. And so it is affecting a lot of people and, and I'm, and it's scary what it's doing to some young people too, with now they're finding other things that it's affecting, like, you know, lung capacity going forward. So it's weird, but, I, again, it's not an either or thing. And if you take the precautions, you test these people all the time. You're not talking about having them uh, be asymptomatic carriers, especially if they if they're in this bubble thing and they're taking their temperature and testing them every day, you know, at least taking the temperature every day, testing them most days. You know, it's either that or you're going to shut it all down. Well, and, and I don't think we can do that. Well, and that's my question. If you're going to. With the number of people that we're going to have involved in this, I would yeah. assume that the odds would tell you somebody's going to get, somebody's going to be contagious. Right. Yeah. So then what do you do, right? Or would we, and, I, and I'm not saying this in any way flippantly, if a player came down with the measles, would we shut down the game? Yeah, you don't have to shut it all down if one player gets it, you know? So you that's what I'm him, saying. You quarantine you send him. You, he, he goes on the injured list, I would assume. Right. The teams right. are going to have a taxi squad of players right. that would step in and be ready to play. Yeah. And as we know, and again, as we know from the literature, just because you get this doesn't mean you're going to go to the hospital and die. You, right. you, right. and so I, that's, Most that's my only, right. Correct. And that's my question is if someone contracts this or if someone is found to be, you know, asymptomatic carrier, what do we do? Do we shut that? Cause you can't, you can't stop a team from playing. You can't quarantine the whole team because then that defeats the whole purpose of the exercise. So again, those are all things that I'm hopeful that baseball right. will talk about whenever they make their announcement. The initial announcement was, uh, we're shutting all operations down until May 8th. Well, here we are. It's around May the 8th. And uh, uh, in the days ahead, some sort of announcement or plan going forward is expected to be announced. Yeah. So in the next, I'm, in the I'm next all few for days, it. I think we're going to hear yeah. something. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've heard that too about NBA because they're talking about, you know, doing, uh, you know, they were almost done with their season. I mean, they don't have that many games right. left to play, but they were talking about right. reconvening and doing it all in Florida uh, at Wild World of Sports at the Rayco right. training site because they have two arenas down there. Or in Vegas, because you have several, you have a few arenas there and tons of hotel rooms in both places. 
Uh, right. and, and so basketball, you could do that with, uh, you only got what, 13 guys on a team or whatever it is. And, you know, but somebody was saying if, if, you know, teams that are out of it, or if a team has a player come down with it, do you, does, does that team just get booted from the season? Well, no, you don't have to do that because at, at least not in baseball, because, we were talking about how you could expand the roster from, say, say the 40-man Major League roster. There's not going to be any minor league ball this year, almost certainly. You could expand right. that to, say, 50 people. You could have, like, 30 people on an active on your Major League roster because you're going to be playing more games probably. Very few right. off days, some scheduled doubleheaders, seven-inning maybe doubleheaders. So you could have, like, 30 people available and easily have, you know, and have, like, 50 on your roster or whatever it is. So if somebody comes down, somebody tests, somebody has high temperature – you boot them out of this thing. You let them go get treated. You let them quarantine or whatever it takes, and you keep going. But I think you can right. do that without, you know, unless you have just a rash of people, you know, some multiple people from a team come down with it, and then all bets yeah. are off. Then you maybe you do have to shut it down. But I think yeah, at least one thing give it a I'd try. Like to, yeah, and one thing I'd like to see too, with regards to the no minor leagues, if you have that taxi squad, but you're going to have a roster of 25 or 20, 26 guys. Who's to say that if the, the Braves are playing the Red Sox uh, in uh, Northport? That on the backfield, some minor league guys can't play a game too. Right. I mean, who? Well, it doesn't have to be an official league, but guys could still get work in. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but whether or not that creates a whole host of problems, as I said, I'm not educated enough to talk yeah. about. And I and I preface everything I say, Dave, uh, that that you know, look, I'm geared up to work. I'm ready to go. Uh, we're healthy. I'm ready, and I understand that a lot of people aren't. And I'm in no way trying to come across as insensitive to this. Right. It's awful. It's tragedy on a lot of different levels, not just uh, medically. Right. for our country. But I believe that baseball will play a huge role in our nation's psyche coming back just like it did after 9-11. And I, I can't wait to uh, experience what that emotion is going to be when I see a pitch yeah. uh, in a big league park, minor league or major league of any kind, uh, uh, hopefully in June or July. I, uh, I, uh, I think the minor leaguers are going to have to do something. You know, they can't just tell yeah. them all to stay at home and stay in shape for next year. They got to do yeah. something. They got to. Well, get I would them. imagine. I, I would imagine again. That's why. That's why I like the spring training plan the best. Everybody has facilities. Everybody has right. backfields. Everybody can get their work in. And if you know, uh, if uh, uh, Freddie Freeman uh, gets sick, uh, you've got a guy ready to go that can step in and, and come play first base or somebody else on the roster who's ready to go. You can't expect a guy, and Eric can answer this, I'm sure. You can't expect a guy to come in cold turkey and not throw and go pitch in a major right. league game of any kind. I mean, that's just that would be insane, and I don't think that's going to happen. No, you'd have to have a taxi squad of guys that are at least playing inter-squad somewhere. You know, you could do live BPs or something. Uh, it, it'd be really hard. You know, if you hadn't pissed, regardless, you're not going to be able to replicate that adrenaline, but – it's also going to be empty stadium. So that's going to be a whole new um, kind of factor to deal with in the first place, but there's no chance you could just throw bullpens and then jump in and go face hitters and have anything riding on it. You know, if it gets to that point where guys are just sitting around all of a sudden somebody gets sick and you throw them in a major league game and, you know, playoffs and world series are riding on, cause they're going to count this, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> you'd have to yeah. have a pretty, a pretty structured setup for the guys that are, on your taxi squad, if, if there's any chance they're going to come in and have any impact on games. So I guess well, you no. just carry like 15, 20 extra guys and have them play against each other every day. Yeah. And well, what, one thing that it is encouraging for me, and it's, it, it, again, I, as a former Cub announcer, I was trained to sell hope year after year. Uh, <laughs> to me, it's, uh, it's really, really refreshing to talk about the possibilities of an eventual season as opposed to the possibility and probability of no season. So yeah. from that standpoint, I think we've all in the sport turned a gigantic corner uh, because I think everybody has a much better grip on what we have and what we don't at this point. So 
I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what their plan is. And as I said, uh, I and my colleagues, we're, uh, we're ready to get back to work and hopefully help people take their minds off of all this, uh, uh, this sadness that's, uh, that's been uh, not over just America, but over the world for the last uh, several months. Man, you talk about the timing of having this new facility down at Northport. Can you imagine if the Braves were talking, if they were talking about playing these games or getting back mm. and having spring training or having them that back, trying to do that at Disney with that tight yeah. locker room, yeah. the lack of facilities, the tiny clubhouse for the uh, this new yeah. place would just so much better already but for this in particular if you tried to do this and you had backfields and you had the minor leaguers and you got you know you got the bunkhouse down there you know the dormitories for the young players so i mean they're a lot better equipped to handle it if it did oh yeah plus the difficulty of social distancing on i4 i mean that in alone (laughs) (laughs) is a game changer but no it's again right there people from all over the world yeah if they open that up again who knows? Right. Well, that's why I, that's why I say these small these smaller Florida towns. Uh, you have ballparks. You have locker room yeah. facilities. The technologies exist, I'm sure, to disinfect and clean in a short order of time, and that could be done uh, on a daily basis. Look, the only thing that's stopping us are the limits of our imagination as to how to solve the problem. And as I said, I know people are working uh, anonymously and tirelessly to get that done, and I applaud their efforts and. Uh, whenever we get back to playing, I hope that baseball and the fans of our game will recognize that that people are really, really working hard to bring back something we all care about very, very deeply. Chip, Eric, and I believe that in a compressed type of season, if they if they're playing more games than usual, you know, in a short amount of time, fewer off days, all that, get some scheduled doubleheaders. We think the Braves they didn't do it for this reason, obviously. But we think the way they built this team could really be fortunate in that, say, your bullpen is so deep, deeper than it's been in recent memory. I mean, you could have a scenario where you could actually have, like, in a scheduled doubleheader, you could designate, like, three all-star closers or former or setup men for the first game and still have three more available for the second game. Well, exactly right. I, I talked to Brian Snitker about that uh, when we first got postponed, and he was talking about exactly that. When we come back, he said, look, there's a three-week spring training. That's fine. We'll get the hitters ready. The pitchers will get you know up to three innings, maybe four innings, but that's how they're going to have to start the games. Uh, you're not going to see pitchers going four or five innings, generally speaking, too often in the first two weeks of, of whatever the regular season looks like. So yeah, absolutely, Dave. Uh, having a deep bullpen, having all the pitching prospects that the Braves have, that is right. going to be a huge leg up that a lot of teams aren't going to have. So, uh, yeah, I can see a scenario exactly like the one you mentioned. It'll be weird. You're going to see a lot of middle relievers pick up a lot of wins and losses and, and pick up decisions. But uh, the Braves, I think, are uniquely positioned with the way the pitching staff is constructed to get out of the gate in a hurry. And that's going to be extremely important, too, with a compressed season and every game meaning so much more. And, uh, and the depth that they have. Um, position-wise, they've got better depth than they have in recent years, too. So I'm looking at, like, Riley and Camargo, who were probably the two most impressive position players down there in spring training. Both deserve, both arguably deserve the third-base job. Well, obviously, only one's going to get it. Say if Riley gets it, now Camargo, all of a sudden, you're talking about being able to legitimately play him a lot in a compressed season. Guys are going to need days off. And doubleheaders, guys are going to, you know, you're going to have – you could start him. He could get a lot of at bats. So you could use those guys. And also the DH, you know, if you well, have that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you have the DH, you let Ozuna DH. Ozuna's, yeah. you know, not exactly a gold glove outfielder. Right, that's right. No, no disrespect, but let him DH. You can play Riley and left and Camargo at third or vice versa. Uh, again, the Braves, I think, are, are uh, really well positioned 
to uh, to get cranked up. Not to mention the fact that uh, we haven't even talked about Cole Hamill. Yeah, exactly. Where he was going to start the season on the injured list. He should be ready to go once they start throwing him and, and be 100%. So, uh, I hate Instead to use the term blessing. Months, maybe well, he misses, yeah, two, maybe he misses I, I, two weeks. Exactly. And I hate to use the term, hey, it's a blessing. But you know what? In some ways, uh, from a strictly baseball standpoint and from the Braves standpoint in particular, right. uh, this delay could be exactly that. Yeah. Do you like this team's chances of winning uh, a third consecutive division title despite having the reigning World Series champ in the division, as well as a couple other teams, the Mets and the Phillies, who should be improved? Yeah, I talked with F.P. Santangelo about that. He said the Braves being better made the Nationals better. And I think uh-huh. the Mets being better, the Marlins being better, the Phillies should be better is going to make the Braves better, too. Uh, we know the dogfight that is going to be the East. There are going to be no weak sisters. I think the Marlins are going to be a much improved team. And as you know, the last couple of years, the Braves absolutely destroyed yeah. them. And that was a big part of why yeah. uh, they won the division. Um, you know, the Mets, uh, <laughs> you know, losing Syndergaard, that's a big blow. That's going to hurt them, quite obviously. The Phillies don't have Gabe Kapler in the dugout, which is going to save their <laughs> pitching staff. So they should yeah. be better. Um, and, you know, the Phillies are the Phillies. They're good. Uh, it's going to be a great race. It's going to be a compressed race. And as we've said a couple of times, uh, if ever there was a season, no matter how shortened or asterisk filled, you don't want to start slowly. 2020 is the one. <laughs> and, uh, I think all of these teams know that. And I think they know it's going to be, it's not going to be a, a slow pace. It's going to be a, a, a 110, 115 game sprint. And whoever's best position to get out of the blocks cleanly is going to be really good shape come mid-October when we start of talking course. about playoffs. Unless, uh, you know, we'll for, never mind what Terry said. If if <laughs> you could be, the Braves could be facing uh, holding off the Twins, the Cubs, yeah. the Reds. I mean, White Sox. <laughs> it could be an interesting division race, huh? <laughs> well, well, yeah, and that's, again, that's, you know, that's part, I, I've long advocated, Dave, uh, that baseball needs to really consider realignment, not just geographic, but economic realignment. And uh, the great tragedy of our sport, the way it is, is you only see the superstars yeah. in the game once every yeah, six years in your that. park. Uh, that yeah, makes no sense. You need to see yeah. Mike Trout and every so year at home. This will be every yeah. every year at home yeah. once or, or or every other year, right? Okay. Um, and yeah, you, you can could. do that. But I, I think uh, I think for our fans to see <coughs> Rocco Baldelli's team, to see the White Sox and how good they are, uh, to see the Red Sox uh, a lot, uh, and heck, for us, selfishly, to go to Chicago a couple of times, that wouldn't stink. Um, you know, I'm all for it. Let's open, let's let's be creative, and let's let's not get so wrapped up in traditionalism as much as let's open up the game to a different group of fans that we can maybe hook now, and let's take advantage of the opportunity. I'm yeah, confident we've talked we will. about that, how I hate the, the uh, I hate the schedule the way it's been the last decade or so. I hate playing 18, 19 games against each division opponent. It's make too it, many. Make it's it 10 many. or 12 against each division opponents. Use those other games yep. to play all the teams in the American League every year, either home or away, yeah. but play every team yep. every year. It's very possible. It could be done. Uh, I get it, and I'm all for it. Now, whether or not our, the TV partners would want that, because look, if you're playing uh, the Angels and the A's uh, on the West Coast instead of the Phillies and Mets, if you're in Eastern Time Zone, you know that's that's well, that's a problem. Shit, I mean, man. that's something you have you to know? work out. <laughs> I know, I understand, but I'm just being realistic with you. Right. But I agree. Uh, if you're going to have interleague play, let's have more of it, but let's balance yeah. it so it's fair. Uh, yes. I agree with you. It's it, the last time the Braves saw the Angels. Uh, Freddie Freeman and the Braves were heading to Anaheim. Trout got hurt like three days before. Yeah. And Freddie Freeman got hurt the series before. So they, that, that matchup exactly. never happened. And, and that's a shame. So 
Uh, I agree with you. 12 games against your division, six games against the other team in your league, and one three-game series alternating home and road every other year against every other team in the uh, in the so-called American League would get you close to 162, and you can fill in yes, the rest. I think it would be like great. That. It would be fun. It would be exciting, and it would be fresh for everybody, and you'd create new rivalries and new interests, and uh, your fans would be more educated as to where the game is because they'd actually see these guys instead of just seeing their highlights or reading about them on retro sheet. And we all wouldn't have to see the Yankees play the Red Sox every game that they play yeah. would not be on, you know, 19 games a year on ESPN. Yeah. The yeah. Braves wouldn't yeah. have to play the Marlins for the sixth series of the year in uh, August at Miami with a thousand people in the seats. It's just, yeah. you know, there's those, some of those games are just dreadful that, you know, when you yeah. play one well, team, right. Five, well, you, I mean, you, series you, a year, as you know, the great beauty of baseball is anybody, anybody can beat anybody else on any given day. And on paper, those series don't often look like they're an awful lot of fun, but, you know, anytime Jose Arena grabs a baseball, something strange <laughs> might happen. So that's worth the price of admission, unless you're Acuna. So rattle the armor up. Uh, but I, yeah, your point, your point's well taken. Uh, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, now's the time to be bold. I think Rob Manfred gets that. I think he's going to try to do that. Uh, whether the players want to go along with that, whether ownership and TV want to go right. along with that remains to be seen. Hopefully they will, because I think, as I said, it's a once in a generational chance to transform the game in a better way forever. I think every fan base should have to deal with Mike Trout. You know, it's one thing just to have him come to your city and see him, but just having to deal with him for a three-game set and, and see what an impact he makes on that series from a fan perspective and, and how he changes the game, there's so much value in that just appreciation-wise for how much how great he is and how good he is. And and like you guys are saying, missing a player and not seeing him play every year, it's, it's one thing to see the highlights, but to deal with him and, and to lose to him or, or have to beat him, I mean, it just gives you such a better appreciation for how good the talent is. That's a great point, Eric. I'm sure you guys have watched The Last Dance. You've been watching that oh, on ESPN, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Okay, right. When you go back and look at those highlights from the 80s and everything. even the early 90s, okay, right, he does change everything. But my point is when you watch those videos, they don't even have to say who the other players on the floor are. You know who they are. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know every single one of them. And so the, the lesson here is follow the NBA model. You cannot have Mike Trout be your most popular player, but yeah. 95th or whatever it was on the list of most 100 recognizable athletes in America. That's that's a, that's a shame. That's a crime. And as I've said, this is an opportunity to rectify that. Not just Mike Trout, but Acuna and Albies right. and Juan Soto and, and, you know, thousands, Altuve's, the Springers. People should know how great these guys are as players and people. And the only way to do that is to expose them to different markets. And I really hope baseball does that. Yeah, well, especially with Trout. It's been all these years he's been playing with the Angels, you know, yeah. not the Dodgers. Yeah. The Angels. Right. The games are at 10 o'clock on the East Coast, you know. So yeah. the only place anybody ever sees him is ESPN highlights. I mean, and that's just doesn't do it justice. No. All yeah. you do is see him yeah. hit home runs or rob a home run catch. That's it. Yeah, I, I measure by who would you pay to watch, right? And I think a lot of fans, the fans do that. I mean, they, they make yeah. it an economic decision to come to the ballpark and buy a ticket, right? Well, no they're paying to watch Acuna and Albies and Freeman and come to boo Bryce Harper. I mean, you know, you don't boo nobodies. Uh, people would pay to watch Mike Trout. And I think it's a great, you know, not to beat it at horse, it's such a great disservice to the fans to, to never see him in person. It, you know, or by the stroke of luck, he gets hurt when it's their turn to play. And, and yeah. um, I, I think that's I think that's the path forward if they can find a way to make it happen, and I hope they do. I never even knew how good he was until I went to Oakland. You know, I, I mean, I'd heard about yeah. him. I'd, I'd seen the highlights. 
But once I got a chance to see him play in person and watch him hit a ball off the glass dead center, you know, it was probably a 450 foot shot and the ball doesn't fly in Oakland. Once I saw that and then saw him move and run around in center field, I was like, this is the best baseball player I've ever seen. And it only took like two or three games to really get an appreciation for him. Yeah. He's just a huge guy and he can fly. And I nobody mean, knows yeah. how big he is. Yeah. He's kind of like Bo Jackson, that kind of guy, that size. And, yeah. you know, he's 240. Then, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, all I can say is thank God he's not a Yankee. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, you'd know a lot about him if he was. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Then you'd, then he'd, then he'd be, you know, the, 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 the overhyped Mike Trout, right? You know, so, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to the, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to if and when we play that uh, I think the Angels were on our schedule. Hopefully that'll come to pass because he's definitely a guy that, uh, you know, and I'm a guy that gets to go to the games for free. He's a guy I'd pay money to watch play. He might hit 900 home runs in that park. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> yes, he would. Yes, he would. Hey, guys, producer came here to tell you about our friends at Manscaped. If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with a new and improved Lawnmower 3, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. This is the Perfect Package for your Perfect Package. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Brief. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC. So Chip, you've talked about this a little bit. Let's let's shift gears here. I want to talk a little bit about Jeff Schultz wrote a really good column about you uh, this week. Hopefully Jeff's not listening because I don't want him to hear me say that he wrote a really good column, but <laughs> he did write a really good column about you. And I thought, uh, I thought he kind of showed a side of you that a lot of people were probably completely unaware of. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, your name, Carrie, obviously you come from the lineage of one of the greatest broadcasting families in, you know, in American history with Harry Carey as your granddad, Ch- uh, Skip as your dad. And, they, uh, you know, the natural assumption is, you know, you, you had this kind of broadcasting silver spoon in your mouth from day one and you, this, this job was handed to you and all that, and that you grew up around sports and around uh, family reunions must've been great when Terry was at the Christmas with your dad and all this. But the reality is you hardly even knew Harry or until, you know, you, until you were in your twenties and then you weren't right. around skip for most of your life. Right. Cause he was divorced and Correct. calling games in Atlanta and you were living in St. Louis. Correct. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jeff, Jeff touched on most of it. Uh, you know, there was another side of that story that I won't talk about. Uh, you know, my home life in St. Louis growing up was not good. Uh, and, and that, that will come out at a later time, but, uh, the parts about my dad and my grandfather were exactly on cue. Look, um, you know, there's a perception, 
perception that often is based on fantasy and not reality. Yeah. And the fantasy is, like you said, oh, you must have sat around, practiced your games, and they must have given right. you their first scorebook, and you must have had a microphone in your crib when you were a kid. No, none of that was true. Uh, my grandparents were divorced. Uh, my grandfather was married three times. Uh, my dad divorced my mom. I remember him backing out of the driveway, and, and I asked my mom, where is he going? And my mom said, he's going on a long road trip. That's how it was described to me. And, um, you know, there, there's a, a great hole in our family that, that existed. Harry was in Chicago being Harry Carey and creating his career and providing for himself and his other families. Uh, my dad was in Atlanta uh, making his child support payments and doing everything he was obligated and was uh, supposed to be doing for me and my sister in St. Louis, but I didn't see him. And mm -hmm. uh, the way I communicated and connected with them was like everybody else. I watched the Braves on TBS at night, and the Cubs on WGN during the day. And that was pretty much uh, my interaction with them other than my dad who had visitation for a couple of weeks and would come to St. Louis when uh, the Braves would play the Cardinals. So um, you know, I missed out on a lot uh, growing up with them. Uh, my grandfather didn't know how to be a father or grandfather. He was an orphan in St. Louis. Uh, he was a, you know, his, his profession was being Harry Carey. And at mm -hmm. that time you had to be mm -hmm. you know, in the old days, uh, Dave, there weren't rights holders for the, for the games. There were two or three different stations broadcasting the Cardinals when he was getting started. And finally, you know, he got the job in 1945 and, mm -hmm. you know, through, uh, you know, hook and crook and, and, and sheer talent, he got the Cardinals job. Um, you know, my dad told a story coming home from college. He went to meet his dad at, at uh, Sportsman's Park and they were going to go have dinner down by Union Station. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And Harry's talking about the game and drinking a beer and shaking hands and signing autographs with the fans. And my dad you know, was kind of wistful and said, you know, he's standing there being Harry Carey and all I wanted him to be was dad. And wow. he, never, he didn't know how to do that. And so my dad took the exact opposite tack. He was dad first. Uh, I think my dad was maybe the most uncomfortable broadcasting celebrity I've ever been around, not because he didn't appreciate saying nice things and not because he didn't like the fact that people valued him and thought he was terrific at what he did. But I think my dad was smart enough to understand that you can lose yourself very quickly in the uh, uh, bright spotlight of celebrity. And that was not anything he was interested in. He wanted to go do the job, do the game, be a good representative for his family, earn a living, uh, represent the game, entertain the fans, and then go home. And by and large, that's what he did. And um, you know, it, it's been interesting as I've gotten older, recognizing and seeing those dichotomies of personalities and how different they really were, despite the mm -hmm. fact that they were both tremendous broadcasters, both related by blood. And now I'm the third one in line with hopefully a couple more generations to follow. So do you ever, I mean, does it ever get old, you know, knowing that people assume that there's, you had this idyllic, uh, upbringing no, no 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 because they don't know uh, and, right, and it right. doesn't come it doesn't come from a place of ignorance in a negative right. way they just don't know and um you know a lot of times you know, it'd be it'd be kind of every now and then i'll get a question well what was what was it like growing up with your dad and your grandfather right. they don't know <laughs> and i answer them well i didn't and when i tell them that story they're they're almost shocked and the story that was in jeff's article is exactly true it's exactly how it happened uh, tell my, that uh your grandfather my, yeah yeah yeah, my grandfather was uh, married to Dutchie, uh, Dutchie Carey, who's still alive and living in Chicago and is a wonderful lady and taught him a lot about being a parent and grandparent and titular head of a family late in his life. And we're always grateful for that. And I love her dearly. Uh, but she was uh, she had younger sons and one of her youngest sons was going to the same high school I went to. And he was on the high school baseball team and he was playing a high school game at the ballpark where I was playing Little League. And our game had finished and they were playing and some, one of my uh, teammates came up and said, Hey, your grandfather's here. And I thought immediately my mother's uh, father. And he said, no, 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 your, your grandfather, the broadcaster, Harry Carey's here. I said, really? 
And I said, oh, cool. He said, come on, let's go. Let's go say hi. So I walked by. He's in the grandstands. We waited until the half inning ended. I walked by in the grandstand in my uniform, and I waved to him. And I might as well have been from Czechoslovakia. He had no idea who I was. <laughs> Wow. And I, my eyes got really wide and I walked away. And I, you know, at this time I'm 15, 14 years old. I'm, wow. I'm still hurt, obviously. And I'm over in the corner trying not to cry and be upset in front of my teammates. And my coach came over and, and said, uh, what's wrong? What's going on? And I told him the story. He said, come here. And he grabbed me. I'm going, no, 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 no. He grabbed me. He said, come on. So another half inning ends. He walks by and he says, hey, Mr. Carey, welcome to a Manchester Athletic Association outside of St. Louis. And he said, oh, we got a fine young ball player who I think you'd like to meet. Uh, you know, hey, and my grandfather, and that big, uh, garrulous, hairy carrier was, hey, young man, what's your yeah. name? And before I could say a word, my coach said, he's your grandson, Chip. And oh there, were 50, there were 15 or 20 people sitting in the stands around, and they were seeing the scene, and you could have heard a pin drop. I oh, mean, the uncomfortable man. silence that took place. So I shook his hand, and I said, I'll see you later, and I walked away. And obviously, he felt horrible. But as I said in the story, it wasn't his fault. He wasn't around. He wasn't engaged. He wasn't, you know, the grandpa that's uh, going to play Santa at Christmas. That just wasn't who he was. And I still to this day hold no grudge. But that illustrates, I think, in perfect form uh, how the reality is so far different mm-hmm. than the fantasy of, as you said, the silver spoon upbringing that, that uh, uh, I had. Uh, we grew up, you know, lower blue collar uh, class in St. Louis. Uh, I went to public high school. I, I, you know, I didn't get to play baseball because I was working to feed myself when I was 12, 13 years old. And uh, I take great pride in being able to do that. That's the, those are the cards that life dealt me, but it taught me a lot of things. And as I've tried to approach my career and try to approach my family life, you, ha- you can learn an awful lot uh, by knowing what you are, but you can also learn an awful lot by knowing what you aren't and what you don't want to be. And I made a vow to myself that when I was going to have children, I was not going to be like my grandfather and not know them. I'm far from a perfect father and perfect husband, but I'm present as much as I possibly yeah. can be. And that was the lesson that my grandfather and my dad taught me. Uh, make the most of your situation and try to be there and be a role model in the best possible way that you can, either for the good or for the bad, so that your kids mm-hmm. can, can take it to another level. And I put mine on. You've, you obviously have come to grips with this and had, yeah. and, 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 and don't hold it against your grandfather, like you just said, he didn't know what, but at the time, how long did it take 14 year old Chip Carey to get over something like that? Uh, I, I mean, to the, to the extent that you talk, I, you never get over it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm 55 and I'm still talking about it. Um, it hurts. Yeah, was there you shame know, there? I mean, you know, um, no, not for me. And I don't think from him, I think it was disappointment because he right. knew, I mean, as I said, he, I, Harry wasn't a bad person and that's the, 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 yeah. the, the the fun loving, you know, life of the party. He was that he, his job was Harry Carey. It wasn't mm-hmm. Grandpa Harry, right? And I think if on, you huh? listen, I, well, I think if you listen, I always talk about well, when Harry did this, when Harry did that. I don't say my grandfather too often, mm-hmm. and because I, I think that that's you know that my grandfather was my mother's father, who like my wife's parents are so intimately involved in the upbringing of my kids when I'm gone, and that's not disrespectful. That's just kind of the way you know the kind of the kind of the way I I, I looked at it. Um, the big tragedy for me is that from a professional standpoint, you know, I was going to work for the Cubs. Uh, they offered me the radio job when I was doing the Orlando Magic, and for myriad reasons, I couldn't take it. Uh, he and I didn't speak because he couldn't understand why I wouldn't want to move to Chicago for $40,000 and live downtown and do 180 <laughs> Cubs games, including spring training, right? 
Uh-huh. Uh, it's just my dad intervening and saying, well, you know, pay him what he's worth. You pay for it. Well, you know, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, he, under, right? you know he, under, he understood where I was coming from. But uh-huh. uh, professionally speaking and familiarly speaking, I would have loved to have known what it was like to grow up uh, in St. Louis as an orphan, what it was like to see every at bat of Stan Musial's career, what it was like to ride the train with Marty Marion and Red Shandienst, and what it was like to see Jackie Robinson play for the first time. Yeah. Um, what was it like to be a patriarch? What was it like, you know, being the son of an immigrant uh, who came over in 1912 from uh, Macedonia and Turkey? And, and why did he leave? And tell me about our religion. I, those are questions and things I don't know. I knew where he lived. I, I know where that is in St. Louis. But that circle of life, that family life that you want to be able to pass down to your family is largely lost to eternity now. And uh, that's why coming back to Atlanta and working with my dad was so important to me. I wanted that familial bond. I wanted a circle to be fulfilled, not just for me as a son, but for him as a father with me. Uh, he had that with my sisters. He had that with my brother, Josh, who's also in broadcasting. But he and I didn't really have that. And by the time I got back to Atlanta, I was, a, you know, uh, I was 40 years old. And so I wanted to I wanted to be able to close that circle and uh, take him to the doctor and take him to lunch and pick up his bags on the road and have a cocktail with him on the airplane. Things that uh, I think both of us took for granted, but really, really enjoyed in those three or four years we were able to work together. I, I thought Jeff put it well. He's, your grandfather, Harry, was like everybody's grandfather and a, yeah, I was, an mine. absolute icon. Yeah. I said the, the cruel irony of that is that he wasn't like your grandfather and he was your grandfather. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you said, he was, he was the life of the party. As I said in the article, it was beer, babes and baseball and, uh, and in no particular order. And, you know, all of us who work in this industry understand, I think the balanced ones understand that baseball is an enormous part of our lives. I mean, look, baseball has given me everything. Uh, you know, it, it's allowed me to live a lifestyle that, as I said, growing up in blue collar St. Louis, I never would have dreamed possible. Um, you know, and, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but I think the really wise people and the successful people in this business understand that no matter how large the game is in your life, it still is a very small part of who you are. I love baseball. I live and breathe it and I love going to the games and I love doing it, but I'm not consumed by it. And I will never, ever allow baseball to, um, uh, separate me from my responsibilities as a citizen, a husband, a father. And people have asked me all the time, you know, would you love to be in the Hall of Fame someday? And I said, sure, as a husband and father first. And their eyes get real big because that's that's what's important to me. And uh, as I said, learning what not to be for my grandfather in that uh, small example, I think, is a, a real driving force as to who and what I am away from a microphone. Hey, speaking of Hall of Fame, uh, Skip, Pete, Ernie. To yeah. me, it is a sh- a travesty that none of them are in the Hall of Fame. Do you think it works almost works against them that they're all obviously gone now? They're all de- all de- dead now, but they were all so great that it's maybe it's hard for people to separate and pick one out of out of the three. Because I just well, I look at people that get it inducted, and no offense, but in recent years there's been people inducted in the Hall of Fame that had half didn't have half the impact that your father and Skip and and. Uh, and Pete and Ernie had on the game and on a region well, uh, of the country. Well, yeah. Well, look, anything I say is going to come off as biased. Right. So right. Uh, please understand where this comes from. I have several questions about that. Number one, uh, I think we would all agree that the business of broadcasting baseball has changed so dramatically in the last 30 years that mm-hmm. to induct one person a year makes no sense. 
Uh, in the exactly. old days, you only had you only had radio. Now you've got radio and TV. Some teams have multiple radio voices. Some teams yep. have multiple TV outlets. So more people are doing it and doing it better now than they've ever done it before. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, why is only one person inducted a year? It's crazy. And thirdly, what's the point of being in a Hall of Fame if you're not around to enjoy the moment? Yeah. Uh, I'm so envious in a good way of Marty Brenneman and Vince Scully. They were inducted, yeah. and rightfully so, and have got to enjoy yeah. the fruits of their labors. And, uh, you know, one of the most difficult conversations I had with my dad was about a week before he died. We were driving to the ballpark, and he was just wistfully, you know, uh, riding along while I was driving. And he said, son, I have one, I have one request. I said, yeah, what do you need? He said, if they vote me in the Hall of Fame and I'm not here, Tell them what they can do with the award, and and, and uh, right. I mean, you can see my dad saying yes. that, and his I can hear him was, saying it, <laughs> right? And, and and with all due respect to the Hall of Fame, you know, if the, if that opportunity ever came, of course, we would graciously accept it on his behalf. But his point was exactly right. He's he's in a place where he's not going to be able to be at that Hall of Fame ceremony and say thank you to the people who made that possible. And so, yeah. if that's the case, well. What's the exercise? And perhaps the cruelest example is what happened to Ron Santo. I mean, Ron Santo, the longtime Cubs guy, you know, got job in the Hall of Fame voting process for decades. And then a year to the day after he dies, he gets in. I, yeah. I just think that that's a travesty and a shame. And to your point, yeah, my dad would tell you were he here. I'm not going in unless Pete and Ernie go in. And Pete and Ernie would say the same thing about yeah. my dad. And uh, if ever there was an exception to be made about impactful broadcasters and a group of three, they yeah. were really one. They were one, not three. And uh, I agree with you. They, they deserve to be in. Uh, like Marty is a perfect example. Love Marty. Marty's great. But Marty is a lot like he had the same kind of impact that Skip had and Pete had. But there's certainly no reason Marty should have gone in before them. They all were kind of that same group of elite uh, guys that you totally associate with a market. Uh, but you could argue that Skip – Pete and Ernie had even more of an impact because once they got carried on TBS, they were known all over North America. They were as identified yeah. with the Braves as any player other than, say, Hank Aaron or maybe Murph. Yeah, all that's fair. All that's fair. Um, but look, how, how and why they vote the way they – again, I'm not in the club, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And it's not for me to tell the Hall of Fame how they're supposed to vote. I'm just saying as a fan and a fan of our industry and a fan of broadcasting in general, and, and as I get older, becoming more and more more of a historian about it. I believe that that's something that would uh, uh, be more beneficial to the Hall of Fame to have more capable people in. Look, Vin Scully's greatness isn't going to be diminished if Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren get to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, if, and if people are thinking about it that way, or uh, if there were people who at one point voted uh, to keep people out because of petty feuds instead of industry excellence, well, then shame on them. And if that were the case, my dad would probably tell you, and I'm not suggesting that that is the case, by the way, but uh, if if uh, if that were the case, my dad would be the first guy to say, then that's kind of a club I don't want to be yeah, in the first yeah. place. So, you know, look, it's their club. They make the rules. And uh, hopefully, as I said, hopefully a day will come where uh, uh, we can recognize just my, not my dad, but Pete Van Weeren, who taught me more about being a professional broadcaster than anybody I know. And Ernie Johnson, who had the vision and the, uh, 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 shall we say, kindness and Southern gentility to make it all work in the South. Without him, none of this happens yeah, for any of us. I think they got, they got to make an exception. And the thing is, you would not find one person who would dis, be a dissenting voice. Everybody would stand up and cheer if they took, if they voted the three of them in together. Everybody would look at it as, right, you finally did the right thing. Who cares if we've only been taking one a year for 20 <laughs> years or whatever it's been? Right, right. Well, you know, 
some, you know, exceptions are made uh, all the yeah. time. And I they're don't, an exception. Oh, so, you know, yeah. And again, it's uh, that's above my pay grade. Uh, yeah. I think I've made my voice pretty clear on what I would love to see happen again as a fan, uh, as a colleague of theirs, as a coworker, and someone who's trying to carry that torch uh, in our uh, major league teams broadcast booth. I think it'd be the right thing to do, but ultimately that's someone else's choice, and it's up to them. We'll see what happens. So. Harry is was and is an icon in Chicago. You still see Harry's image in, in all over the city. But back then, I remember in the 80s, living in Kansas, the games, WGM, we could get it down there. So I saw Harry all the time. He was on the national ads for Budweiser. He was on WGN's ads. He was everywhere. And you still see right. him everywhere. And he's got steakhouses, after, big steakhouses in Chicago with his name on him. So yep. you, go, yeah. you had him, total icon. You have your dad who was an icon in, in uh, Atlanta and everywhere the Braves games were shown, which was all over North America. And he was the wisecracking kind of beer and a shot guy who, who made the Braves entertaining back when they were not an entertaining team in the, in most of the eighties. I mean, he made them for by and large an entertaining team every night. It was like a show watching a, watching a comedy. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, people forget, uh, as good a baseball announcer as people think my dad was, he was an even better basketball announcer. And that's yeah. how he came. That's how he came to Atlanta. My dad came to Atlanta with the St. Louis Hawks, uh, followed them down to become their broadcaster. And even before that, my dad's first broadcasting job of baseball was with the Atlanta Crackers. Uh, he did the wow. Atlanta Crackers with Jack McKeon as his first manager, if you can believe that. <laughs> and a funny story, my dad, who came from St. Louis and the University of Missouri and had this, you know, very good use of the vocabulary. Hello again, everybody. I'm Skip Carey. Welcome to Ponce de Leon Park in downtown Atlanta for the Crackers and the Huntsville Stars, whatever it was. He does the game. And the general manager at the time comes down and says, Skip, that was great. You're going to be terrific. We're so happy you're here. But he said, what's this Ponce de Leon crap? He said, this is the South. That's pronounced Ponce de Leon Park. So, so you know, that was, uh, that was dad's first entree into Southern culture was Ponce de Leon Park. But, um, you know, he was... He was uh, he was able to work in an area where unbridled and brutal honesty uh, ruled the day. That's yeah. not always the case uh, in, in today's business. And I think uh, ultimately that kind of style did a great service to the fans because ultimately our jobs is our job is to inform and to entertain. And part of the entertainment for my dad was exactly that. Some of those Hawks and Braves teams weren't very good, and he was about to sacrifice his credibility for. Uh, a player's ego if he played poorly. Wasn't mean, wasn't mean-spirited, certainly wasn't personal. He was there to evaluate a player's performance uh, on that day in a professional setting. And by and large, um, most of the guys understood that. And the really, really good ones are the guys that say, man, I sucked last night. And then tomorrow night when he plays great, the broadcaster says, great job. The guy says, thanks. I appreciate you saying good stuff about me. And when that happens, that's when you've got the framework for a really, really good relationship. And uh, my dad was blessed to have that. And I think I was blessed to have that too. Yeah. Some of the things that he could say back then, you wish people could get away with now <laughs> the comments, you know, oh. the bases are oh loaded God. and I bet he wishes he was. I've, I've used that one. I've used that one. But comment about, comment about people's spe certain spectators in the coming up the stairs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, not all the all stars are between the white lines. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, could you could you imagine in today's era, in today's oh. era, and in today's era, a broadcaster saying the following: huh, "It's fourteen nothing Phillies after five. If you promise to patronize our sponsors, you can walk the canine." Could you imagine? Could you imagine? 
what uh, what a TV executive in today's uh, in today's <laughs> world would do if a young broadcaster without the you know the the, the uh, shall we say hard-earned reputation of my dad in Atlanta would what, what that would do so yeah. um, look it's inform and entertain and those two did it better than anybody in my opinion. Uh, and they're iconic, and I appreciate you saying that. But they're iconic because they cared. They cared about their audience. They cared about being honest, and they cared about telling the truth. <laughs> and they broadcast the games for the fans. <laughs> you need to do the the call in, call in the Q and A that he did. <laughs> People would ask him oh. about the infill fly, oh. and he'd yeah. just get exasperated. <laughs> he just go. I've done this question about a thousand times. I'm hanging up on you. You're an idiot. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's what, I mean, that's what he did. I mean, and people, I, I have heard the term curmudgeon used. Yeah. I've heard the term curmudgeon. My dad uh, was, he was, you know, he wasn't a grouch, but he, he, he didn't suffer fools. Like he didn't suffer fools lightly, I loved but him. he was, he, he's the first guy that would walk up with a dirty joke. And a mischievous grin, and he was the guy that would always poke the bear with the stick. To, to me, uh, being being the third carry in the booth, to me it would have been like if I was the son of the late great sports writer Frank DeFord, and Frank had a father who was even more famous sports writer than he was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. I don't know that I'd have the stones. I don't think I would have the balls to be able to get into sports writing. Uh, and try to live up to that legacy, much less doing it in the same town as my father. And well, that, I, and that's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, I made the decision when I was a kid. I was an intern at TBS. I was watching the Braves with my dad. We were doing a game. I was working on the production crew. Uh, Steve Howe came in to pitch for the Dodgers. Bob Watson came off the bench at a pinch hit grand slam. Braves beat the Dodgers. My dad was on the radio call. We're riding home in his car around midnight. And the station announcer uh, says, hey, it's midnight Atlanta, 72 degrees. Braves beat the Dodgers. Here's Skip Carey's call. They play the radio call. And the old, uh, you know, hair on the back of your neck cliche takes place. I'm like, this is like the most amazing thing. You know, we talk about thunderbolt moments in your life when you, you meet the woman you love. Your child is born. You get your first job. Eric, you know, you get your first major league win, all that kind of stuff. Well, for me, that was my thunderbolt moment professionally. And I said to my dad, I'd like to do that someday. My dad didn't say anything after I told him uh, I'd like to do that someday. And we got back to his house, and 30 minutes later, he said, uh, are you serious about that? And I said, yes. And uh, he called Bob Wessler at TBS and arranged for me to start working on the production crew during the summers. And that's how I got a firsthand taste of, of what it was like to be around a big league team, not as an announcer, but as a crew member. And that taught me a, a hugely valuable lesson, you know, how to treat people on the crew who are the best in the business and make us look good. Telling me to be myself, uh, don't be a cheap imitation of Harry or Skip Carey. It's a personality-driven business. And uh, luckily for me, uh, I, I followed that advice and, and uh, I continue to do that and pass it on to my kids. And I'm grateful for that. It's the best advice they ever gave me. What is, what is it like? Uh, is there a, a conscious, uh, are you guys conscious of the fact that when you go to work at the Braves, uh, as a Braves broadcaster, they have, I mean, most teams have had good broadcasters, an exceptional one along the lines. But I think it's unusual how great the Braves broadcasters in general have been throughout the entire time in Atlanta. I mean, it's really, it's not like for, for a non, uh, not one of the biggest markets like New York, Chicago, where you expect kind of the uh, LA, to the biggest guys to end up. You guys have had a, a, a line of broadcasters that can compete with, uh, can compare with any in the industry. Well, yeah, you're very kind, Dave. Uh, look, we, as I said before, 
you know, we're following in the uh, footsteps of Ernie Johnson Sr. And look, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, Ernie was there with the Braves. Uh, Larry Munson did the Braves for a year uh, or two, I think. Um, you know, guys like that set the stage. And then in 76, when Ted Turner bought the, or bought the Braves and put them on the Superstation, he brought in my dad and Pete. Uh, the Superstation really was the impetus for yeah. getting all of it started because it truly was a national broadcast of a local team. It was unprecedented. It had never been done before. And so my dad and Pete and Ernie in those days became, uh, you know, rock stars because people craved baseball in Pocatello, Idaho, and Tomahawk, Wisconsin, right. and Boise, Idaho, and they, they got to do it. And as you know, when you do the games, you become kind of a member of the family. You're a guest because they invite you into, your living, into their living room every night at 7 o'clock or 7.30. Um, but beyond the TBS thing, think about the national broadcasters that that network has spawned just from a baseball standpoint. Uh, my dad and Ernie did national, but my dad and Ernie and Pete all did national baseball. Joe Simpson yeah. has done national baseball. I did it briefly. Jeff Francoeur, John Smoltz, the list mm-hmm. goes on and on. Uh, Ernie Johnson Jr. Uh, it really has been, uh, shall we say a cradle of, of broadcasting excellence, um, that, that, uh, we're all very, very proud of that. And, uh, we're all very, very, um, aware of where it started. It wasn't my dad. It wasn't Pete, but it was Ernie Johnson. And that's why we call the, uh, the radio booth, the ballpark, the Ernie Johnson radio booth and justifiably. So he's gone, but never forgotten. And, uh, uh, you know, he was just such a mentor and fatherly figure to all of us. And I got to work with him too. Um, you know, to know that that torch is being passed from that generation to mine and hopefully to the, the Ben Ingrams and the Jeff Francours and Tom Glavins of the world uh, is really, really cool. And I hope that they uh, are able to keep that torch lit and pass it along and pass it to the generations when I'm long gone, uh, uh, hopefully as well and as reverently as all of us who sit behind that microphone feel about it. Hey, talking to, you talked about your dad keeping his integrity and saying, you know, not lying and being honest. Tell the story about when he and Pete got booted off the team playing briefly. Uh, um, yeah, I wasn't there at the time. Uh, that was under the, let me think about this under the, that was two baseball administrations ago uh-huh. with the Braves, uh, which tells you a lot. Um, there was apparently a, um, uh, there were two different batters boxes right. that, uh, that existed. And one day, I guess the Braves had used the wrong size batters box. Uh, I mm-hmm. can only, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. Again, I wasn't there. Yeah. But the Braves had a novice producer. Glenn Diamond was off that day, and they had a young producer uh-huh. filling in who noticed that and put it on uh-huh. the air. And, and Joe Simpson Joe Simpson said, hey, wait a minute, this is kind of fishy here. Here was the batter's box last night. Here's the batter's box tonight. And they showed that on TV. Oh, well, yeah. Bobby went nuts, uh, was not at all happy about that, and called, you know, uh, called Joe and that producer into and Glenn Diamond. It wasn't Glenn Diamond, but called Glenn Diamond into the manager's office and absolutely, you know, tore them a uh, new, a new, you know what? Uh, that and most of that was done by the then um, man in charge of baseball operations for the Braves. Um, mm-hmm. Joe said, "Wait a minute, I'm the one that did it. He didn't know." And 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 uh, they said, "Well, you know." When we get on the charter, we can talk this out. Well, that person leaned over and said, well, those days are over. You're not flying on the team plane. So they kicked them off the team plane after they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Um, And, you know, obviously the reaction was worse than the provocation. And uh, after people got so upset and said, what the hell's wrong with these? Come on, really? You're going to punish them for telling the truth? (laughs) Um, that, that, uh, That went away very quickly. And it was... Bobby Cox in the meeting that, that tried to be the peacemaker. Look, I know you guys are on the same team. I know what you're, you know, we know you're around us all the time. This is, and that goes back to the, it's a long way to October 
a documentary. Yeah. The, the, our crew has earned, uh, through great faith and um, trust, uh, unprecedented access. And that's a credit to the Braves. I mean, they go out of their way to accommodate us as much as possible. But it was Bobby Cox who recognized that a, a mountain was being made out of a molehill and that, yeah. look, if you have any questions about something, come to us and we'll tell you what's going on so that we don't have a situation arise like this. It was quickly forgotten. Uh, but yeah, dad, you know, they flew up uh, Air Canada first class to Montreal, did the game and then got welcomed back to the charter. I think they had balloons ah. and confetti for them they <laughs> just to make light of the situation. But, you know, my dad is in his customary way, highlighted absurdity with absurdity and it quickly went away, which, which is the way it should have happened. Hey, uh, you seem to, I mean, we all have, there's very few of us in the media industry, uh, who don't have plenty of critics, you know, yeah. we love getting our ego stroked, sure. but we also all get, we get, most of us get ripped a lot. People think we suck. Some people love us. You have your fair share of criticism, uh, obviously. And I think a lot of it, some of it's people compare you to your dad, you're not the same type. Others just don't like the way you do it. It's like some people don't like the way I write. Right. But you seem to have found a way and it can, and in the era of social media and Twitter and all that, it can be brutal. You got it. You cannot have a thin skin and do this job. You seem to have found the best way to deal with it, to kind of shrug it off, say, damn the critics. I'm going to keep doing this the way I do it. And if they don't like me, if they hate me, if they don't think I deserve this job, screw them. Right. And, and you just go about your business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not good at Twitter. Uh, look, all of us would love to be praised. And there are people who take shots. Like, I don't mind people taking a professional shot at me. I, you know, I, I, I screwed up a, a play on a TBS playoff game that ultimately cost me my job. I didn't do my job well that day. Now, whether I deserve to be fired for that remains to be seen, and that's a whole other story. Uh, if you don't like what I do professionally or I make a mistake, I deserve to be called out on that. Uh, I don't uh, go to work trying to make them, uh, but I think people yeah. forget that we talk live yeah. without a, a safety net for four right. hours a day. And, you know, we don't have, unlike a writer, with all due respect, we don't have a delete button. We don't get to rewrite right. the lead. You know, what we talk about, it's out there, and it's out there forever, especially uh, as you said, with so much more digital media and instant access right yeah. now. The only area that I really have a problem with is when it delves into personal. Uh, people yeah. think they know me, they don't. They don't know what exactly. I'm intending to talk about or do. And so much is inferred by what is said that without asking. And that's, that's where it's not fair. And I liken social media, as useful as it is, to talk radio where it's the caller that has the dump button. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, they can perpetuate mm -hmm. a controversy as long as you decide to play along. Uh, I've chosen not to participate. Yeah. I, I'm not in the Twitter cesspool. Uh, you know, I miss using it for information. Um, it's a wonderful resource, but the overwhelming amount of it is, in my opinion, uh, awfully negative And it's not yeah. it's not worth the time <coughs> of dealing with. So uh, shrugging it off. Yeah, I do that as best as I can. Ultimately, uh, thankfully. Uh, my bosses think I do a good job. My partners think I do a good job. My colleagues think I do a good job. And I go to work doing the best that I can. I'm not perfect. My dad wasn't perfect. Hell, Harry Carey wasn't perfect. Yeah. Uh, Vin yeah. Scully, well, he probably was perfect. But you get, <laughs> but you get, but you get my point. Yeah, uh, all yeah. we can do is uh, give our best effort every single day uh, to the best of our ability, not for ourselves and our families, but for our fans. Uh, you know, that's why, I, that's why I prepare four hours for every game. That's why I get to the ballpark early and try to be in the locker room every day. It's part of the job. It's what I love yeah. to do. And with that comes some inherent risk, and that inherent risk is a mistake. And if I make one, I have no problem uh, um, uh, correcting it. I don't have an ego that way. But tell me I made it, because sometimes we're talking so fast and so much is going on that people don't understand. We don't realize we've misspoken. 
And uh, yeah. luckily, I have great producers. I have great partners who, who listen to what we say because they understand the challenges. I mean, to give you an idea and to give your fans an idea, while we're talking on the game, I might have a producer in one ear, the director in the other ear, and my partner in there as well. I've got three or four different conversations, not to mention a game that I have to follow, all going at the same time. So it, it's very, very, very easy to, uh, you know, to make a slip of the tongue. And that happens. And I think uh, most reasonable people would understand that. Uh, and, and so our goal and our job, quite honestly, is to A, not make them. And if you do, correct it and move on. That's just human nature. Yeah, everything is so hypersensitive now. And, and, uh, and with so much social media, every mistake is amplified. And like you said, you got to talk so much on the air that if you can do, if you can talk for four hours in a night and not say one thing that, you know, maybe come out wrong and do that day after day after day, Joe Simpson, I thought a couple of years ago was in the spotlight a couple of times for a couple of things. He said that back in the day when everything before everything was so magnified on social media, I think would have just been not, would have been forgotten the next day. Yeah. But everything becomes such a big issue these days. Well, it's, it's, everything I mean, becomes, it, it's not even big issue. I think that, and this is, this is not just our business. It's everything. Um, it, it, we, we've turned our society, in my opinion, into one where that someone who doesn't disagree with me is just an asshole. They're not an educated, right. smart person with an opinion. They're not only an asshole, they're wrong. And I don't want to even hear from them and they shouldn't be able to be in that position. And that's, that's no way. That's, that's not how adults act. Um, you know, without speaking about a specific situation, analysts are paid to provide opinions. And those opinions are sometimes contrary to what the, um, uh, shall I say, the educated class or the people in charge think about things. Well, that's why you pay them in the first place, right? I, I mean, if you don't want that, if you want everything to be vanilla, just give us a script and let us, and we'll do the game that right. way too. That's just not how life works. Reasonable people can have reasonable disagreements, but the keyword has to be reasonable. Luckily for us, we have a forum to discuss those things. That's why we're paid what we're paid over that three-hour broadcast to, again, to inform and entertain. Uh, informing and entertain sometimes means having an opinion that runs counter to what someone else thinks. It doesn't make you right. doesn't make you wrong. It means you have an opinion, and adults are allowed to have them and express them, uh, just as fans can in the letter to the editor or Twitter or Facebook. Um, that doesn't make them right or wrong. It means they have an opinion. I don't have to agree with it, but I respect the yeah. fact that they are allowed to make it. And conversely, we in the profession, um, uh, should be afforded the same luxury. It's just so easy to seek out people that agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, Eric, you can do, I mean, we're in the same boat. How many times in your career did you go out now? You didn't have many bad games. You have a bad game and you hear, you know, some guys, you suck and you're, you know, your, you know, your family should be ashamed, whatever the hell they would yell at you. Right. And then two days later, you're back in the game. You strike out, uh, you strike out Joey Votto in a big situation. They're cheering you saying you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's, that's the, the, that's the, the, the strange dichotomy that sports provides people is it's an outlet for them, but it's not really based in reality of knowing you. It's just an emotional release and an emotional catharsis. I guess I, I you know, I just tend to look at it more rationally than many and uh, understand that it's part of the game and, and know that no matter what you do, there's a segment of people who are going to hate you. Some that are going to love you. You just try to win over the undecideds. Yeah, and it's really hard to grasp as an athlete that that small portion of people coming forward and telling you you suck that night, you know, it's right. an irrational portion of the fan base that it's not the majority of it. And I think that that's why I always say that athletes that are active on social media while they're playing are psychopaths because you're just, you're, <laughs> I don't know how they handle all that. You know, I, yeah. I purposely never read papers or had any of that because I knew I couldn't handle it because it's, 
you, you get a distorted view of how you're, um, you know, how you're viewed by a fan base based on this small portion. You know, there's so many fans that aren't on social media or Twitter, you know, letting you know when you mm -hmm. suck. Um, it's, you know, you go, you run around the stadium, you're shagging BP and everyone's telling you how much they love you. But if you check online, you had a bad game last night. When you come in the game, everyone's going to be mother effing you, you know, as soon as you come in and, and they don't like you, they don't believe in you anymore. Then you have a good game and they're back on your bandwagon. So that roller coaster that there's a, a portion of the fan base that rides. I mean, it really doesn't represent how the fan base feels about you as a whole. And guys, just it's, I just would never be on social media as an active player. Yeah, well, it's hard. I mean, it's re it's really really hard, and that's why, again, as I said, I don't I don't do the social media thing very well because my my initial impulse is not to um, not to react, but to respond and give my side of the story. And yeah. as you as you just said, most people aren't really interested in your side of the story, and and that's their right as a fan. And um, you know, you you can't argue with people who don't want to be reasonable because no. uh, because it's just not worth your time. All it's going to do is dig the hole deeper. And as a result, you just sort of, you, like you said, you wear it. And, but that's, you know, that going in, you know, that's part of the deal. And you know that that's, uh, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's why they pay you what they pay you to, to block that out and go do your job to the best of your ability every day. And at the end of the day, tell the story and go home and tell them the story the next day. Yep. Chip, how you think, uh, Kelly Cruel, what a, what a rough way to have to start your career. I mean, you go over, you do a couple of games down at spring training. You know, a lot of people are going to really miss Kelsey Winger. You go down to a couple of games there. You're in the middle of, I think she was in the middle of, of looking for a house or a place to live. And then this pandemic starts. So there's so much, you don't know when the season's going to start. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. really unusual. Yeah, she's not going to forget. She, she's not going to forget <laughs> 2020. That's for sure. Uh, Kelly's terrific. She's a very nice lady. Yeah. Great reputation from Chicago. I met yeah. her briefly when I was doing some postseason work for one of the TV stations up there in Chicago. Uh, she's uh -huh. a pros pro. Uh, she's going to forge her own path and do a great job. And, and you mentioned the the great uh, uh, broadcasting tradition. We've had some outstanding sideline reporters too, and I'm sure that Kelly's going to yes. fall right in and and forge her own path and. All of us are very excited for her and her start. And, uh, you know, it's a different era. And we wish Kelsey all the best. She's a terrific worker, a terrific reporter. I'm not privy to what happened there. But uh, I, I know that she's going to land on her feet and do great things uh, and, and hopefully soon. And I'm sure for Kelly, she's like the rest of us. She just can't wait to get back to work and get started because she was working very hard to uh, get immersed in Braves culture and Braves isms. And I think that she's going to be a great addition to the crew. And we can't wait for her to, uh, to make her debut, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, the reaction from Cubs fans was kind of similar to what uh, Braves fans with Kelsey. I mean, they loved uh, Kelly Cruel up there. So I think, and and I hear the same things from you from B writers up there that she's a pros pro, hard worker, yeah. really yeah. really knows the game. Yep. Well, that's I mean, all, anybody athlete. that anybody that loves baseball and knows the game is 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 going to be a, a you know is going to be welcome on any broadcast. And I think uh, uh, my colleagues at Fox Sports South all agree we're lucky to have her and. Uh, She's a really, really yeah. nice lady to boot, which is which is uh, you know icing on the cake. So she'll fit right in. She already was fitting in perfectly down in uh, Northport when we had our first couple of spring training games. She gets it. She's good, and uh, she'll be another uh, a very, very strong addition to what we think is one of the best broadcast teams in baseball. And, and what do you think about Chip going and Chipper going to the booth with uh, Book? I think it's going to be great. Uh, they're obviously yeah, buddies. Uh, I think they're great. They're going to be a great team. I would love to see them get a shot at the Sunday night gig. I think that'd be a blast. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud that the chipper's taking this seriously. He's not just going to show up and be an analyst. I did a, a, a chat with him the other day. 
He's uh, he's wearing readers now. He's uh, I said, welcome to the readers club. <laughs> and he's got color coordinated readers. They're going to match his sport coats, which is extremely important. Um, but, you know, he's he, he wants to be good. And, and I would I would imagine that he's going to bring the same single minded focus about being a great broadcaster uh, behind the mic uh, as he did uh, in the batter's box or in the field. He's going to be excellent. And he's a contemporary still of a lot of these guys. He has so much yeah. knowledge. I know the chipper sometimes comes across as this slow talking <laughs> country boy from Pearson, Florida, but the guy's got a PhD in baseball and I think oh he has God. a unique ability. I think he and all the really good ones have a unique ability to take that very complex sounding uh, stuff and make it sound yeah. accessible to, to the casual fan. And he'll be great. Boogus, a terrific broadcaster. Fans in Atlanta know that. Yeah. There'll be yeah. a great pairing of, of young and old analytics and old school baseball. And more than anything else, they'll have fun, which will make the audience have fun, which means they'll be a big success. And I, I wish them both extremely well. And your kids, uh, your boys, just wrapping this up. Your boy, you went to UGA. You did that, yeah. uh, I think, to be down to be near your dad, right? That's yes. why you came down here initially. Yeah. And now yeah. your two boys, your twins, are yeah. both. Are they both in the J school there? Well, uh, my son Christopher got in. My son's three credit or three uh, uh, three classes shy. He's fixing that up uh, here in the summer down in Florida. And then he'll be eligible to join Grady. And, yeah, they're both going into broadcasting. Uh, I've got Harry Christopher Carey IV uh, and Stephen Andrews Carey. They're both uh, rising juniors at UGA. Uh, they're both terrific. They're better than I am uh, at that point in my, in my life. Um, they've helped me start a podcast. I'll plug that. It's the I Just Said That podcast. Uh, yeah. It's I Just Said That. Uh, I Just Said THT pod. And it's all over the place on Apple Podcasts, just like this one. Uh, we've had some great uh -huh. guests, and they're producing that. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're very technical savvy. They're helping me do that stuff. They're pushing me to try new things and spread my wings a little bit. And uh, as I said, they're so much more savvy as to how the business is and works and how to do things. They've already got some games right. under their belts that I didn't have. And uh, I think they're going to be better than I ever was. And I, I can't wait to see them get started. And like my dad, uh, when I get a chance to work with one of them behind a microphone, that'll be a, a, a wonderful, <laughs> again, closure of a family circle that I never dreamed would have been possible. Wow, four generations in the booth. That would be something. We got you surrounded, pal. We're like the coronavirus. We're everywhere. <laughs> We're like the coronavirus. Yeah. Or maybe the carrier virus, whatever. Something like that. It might even be, be better. Well, Chip, hopefully uh, hopefully we're going to see you in person here soon, man. This Me is too. so weird being in the middle of May and uh, being at home like it's November. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, well, I, again, I'm I, as I said, I still hope. I think we're going to be back. I think the, the can's been kicked down the road far enough that people are starting to see the possibilities of what could be and will be as, to pose, as opposed to what's not going to be. And that's good news for all of us. But we're not there yet. Uh, but again, I deal in cautious optimism. And uh, I think it'll be a great day for us. Uh, to get baseball back. And uh, I know all you guys will be as uh, uh, exalted and excited about to, to write about real baseball stories instead of talking to schlubs like me. So uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on and we'll see you at the ballpark real soon. Thanks. Yes, thanks okay, Eric, appreciate it. Thanks you guys. Take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay. Thanks all again. Right. Thanks. Man. Okay. The 755 is real and uh, we really appreciate Chip stopping in for quite a while there. Uh, and we will be back on Tuesday. Hopefully, we're going to have some news here pretty soon. I think the MLB is about to give the players a proposal, and maybe maybe we'll have some dates or something uh, before much longer. But until then, keep this thing going. Try to entertain and inform. We're out. See you next week.